Welcome to Pastor Potluck. I'm Court Green. And I'm Peter Constantin. And today, finally, she has been on the show before, but not with me on it. I finally convinced, actually Peter convinced, <laughs> my neighbor, church-wise, Aaron Yao, to come on the program. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to finally be here. In person. In I think person. The last time it was over Zoom. It was yes. over Zoom. Yeah. You and DeAndre and I talked about... Church restarting. Uh-huh. After the pandemic. Gosh, after. that seems so long Or, ago. air quote, after. After we decided to accept some risk in returning to church and mm-hmm. how that would go. So that was y'all. So the big church reset. Yeah. Not reset. Yeah. We're still working through it. Reassessment? I don't know what it was. It was not reassessment. Return? Anyway. <laughs> Recall. Recall. There's a flaw in it. It has to go back to the factory. Anyway, so um, we've got Aaron. <laughs> Even though Aaron hasn't been on the show much, I consider her a friend. I know Peter considers a colleague because they're both Methodists. Mm-hmm. I think and she's I think your colleague, friend. too. Yeah. I guess. Friend. She's my ecumenical colleague. We're not in the same meetings like y'all are, though. Some of Except the for the one that we have every week. Whatever. <laughs> so we're in some of the same meetings, but you guys are in the same system. How about that? Got it. Got yeah, it. Yeah. Okay. And um, so I, I'm not, and that's fine with me because I don't need to be in the same system to love you folks. But um, I'm excited to have you on. And today we're talking about Luke. And where do we want to go from here? Let me read it. Can I read it? You may read it. All right. This is Luke chapter 14, verses 1 and 7 through 14. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to share a meal in the home of one of the leaders of the Pharisees, they were watching him closely. When Jesus noticed how the guests sought out the best seats, at the table, he told them a parable. When someone invites you to a wedding celebration, don't take your seat in the place of honor. Someone more highly regarded than you could have invited have been invited by your host. The host who invited both of you will come and say to you, please give your seat to this other person. Embarrassed, you will take your seat in the least important place. Instead, when you receive an invitation, go and sit in the least important place. When your host approaches you, he will say, Friend, move up here to a better seat. Then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. All who lift themselves up will be brought low, and those who make themselves low will be lifted up. Then Jesus said to the person who had invited him, When you host a lunch or dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers and sisters, your relatives or rich neighbors. If you do, they will invite you to return, and that will be your reward. Instead, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, crippled, lame, and blind, and you will be blessed because they can't repay you. Instead, you will be repaid when the just are resurrected. This is the word of of God for all people. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. So, I think I want to point out the verses that preceded this mm-hmm. because two reasons. Number one, they set it up in a way because I think it's like a sayings section, so they don't necessarily flow one to the other. But as far as how we read it, they do set it up a little bit. But also because they kind of echo what you and I talked about on last pastor potluck installment what did we talk about so we talked about the bent over woman and and part of what we healing on the sabbath yes healing on the sabbath which is what this is going to get to and part of what we talked about was an aspect of that conversation which was humility Mm. and um you know how the pharisees were using the laws to lord it over people etc 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 but some of the verses that we skipped um, Jesus does, in fact, do some stuff on the Sabbath that he's not, quote-unquote, supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So two, just then in front of him was a man who had edema. And Jesus asked the experts in the law and Pharisee, is it lawful to cure people on the Sabbath or not? But they were silent. So Jesus took him and healed him and sent him away. Then he said to them, if one of you has a child or an ox has fallen into a well, will you not immediately pull it out on the Sabbath day? They could not reply to this. So they're stuck Mm -hmm. in their fealty to to the way things have always been. Mm -hmm. 
not wanting to contradict themselves, we assume, mm-hmm. because they probably tell people you can't do X, Y, Z on the Sabbath. Yeah. And then he goes into this thing about humility and hospitality as a po- and, and, and shifts away from do you heal or don't you heal and gets into a more general discussion on you know, how do we see ourselves? Mm-hmm. How should we present ourselves? Should we be seeking positions of honor in front of people, or should we just be doing the right thing, quote unquote? Mm-hmm. Or, I guess, to take it to his extreme, seeking the lowly positions. So maybe let's start there. What does that mean, to seek the lowly positions? Does that mean just not have any ambition? Mm. No. What do you think, Aaron? I think seeking the lowly positions is being with people who are hurting and um, not seeking places of privilege and recognition hmm. which is tough so then it's not necessarily to occupy the lowly position but to find those who do sit next to people who are lowly yeah that's what i read in the scripture i'm not sure that's exactly what jesus is saying but that's right. what that's the mo- that's what i feel motivated to do mm-hmm. I, i'm i'm i want to feel motivated i i, I want to believe that there is a reward i think as gordon was saying yesterday just in sitting at the at the low end of the table, mm. not not in the expectation that I'll be moved up, but mm-hmm. that the company that I find at the low end of the table might be more enjoyable company <laughs> than I would find at the other end. Yeah, there's that. What I think one of the key things that Jesus brings out that I see is knowing his audience. Mm. He knew their motivation mm-hmm. was not going to be to do the right thing, but he could probably make an, a, an impact on them by appealing to their desire not to be embarrassed. Mm. Uh-huh. So it's it's not because it's wrong for you to just want to be looked at all the time. It's because if you do occupy that seat, they might come to you and shame you by saying, hey, someone better than you showed up. Mm. Yeah. And so I, I think that, number one, I think it teaches us something in the fact that we should know the context that, into which we're speaking. Yeah. But, but beyond just that practical point, I think it's probably a way to look within and assess ourselves what's our motivation to do right Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i think so here i see jesus being like a really pragmatic and astute community organizer Mm -hmm. uh saul linsky is sometimes noted as like the um rules for radicals yeah rules and and there's a previous book that he wrote that's got a lot of stories that i want to read i haven't read it yet but um, Reveille for radicals. Hmm. Anyway, um, one of his one of his rules is that or is that it's it's okay to get uh, people to do the right thing for the wrong reason. Huh. Yeah. And so I see what Jesus is doing here, perhaps providing these folks who normally seek um, status to do the right thing, which is to to sit at the low end of the table, even if it's for the wrong reason. And I feel like that's a pragmatic approach to bringing the kingdom. Sometimes you're not going to be able to convince everyone to do the right thing for the right reason. Right. And these folks he's talking to, he's, he's saying, well, you know, if you put yourself in that position, you might be shamed for it. You know, you might, you might experience shame later when someone asks you to move down. Why not store your treasure up in heaven by sitting at the low end of the table? And so he's giving them an invitation to, to I think, do things for the wrong reason, but to do the right thing anyway. Aaron, have you ever had a chance in your years of ministry, don't use names, and probably don't take anyone from your current no. church, but have you ever, can you think of an example of when you have used the wrong reason to convince someone to do the right thing? Oh, gosh. I mean, I can't think of, I was anticipating that question and trying to think of a time when that's happened. Um I, I, I'm having a hard time coming up with a specific example, but I can say like throughout my ministry, especially having been a, a pastor of missions and focusing on local community missions, that mm. there were definitely times when um, people were outside their comfort zones. And, um, and I would have a lot of teenagers who were doing like, clubs at schools that required service hours and Mm. so you know they would use these local missions as a way of fulfilling their service hours 
which was okay. I That's mean, maybe the wrong reason yeah. for, for being engaged with the poor, but yes, it's but doing it the got right them thing. There. Yeah. yeah, and then yeah. and their parents had to come too, and so I mean, at least there was that exposure. Yeah, and, and to me that that highlights, I think, Jesus' deeper faith that maybe he doesn't need to explain to this group of people, but that by this is something that I feel really deeply that by actually putting ourselves in situations where we have exposure to folks who normally who who live on the low end of the table right who who that's their that's their home that's their Mm -hmm. life that's their world uh we will be changed by that yes and i I think that jesus has faith that if he can convince people even for the wrong reasons to put themselves uh shoulder to shoulder and not uh, above uh uh, looking down their noses at people who are less privileged than them, then that experience will change them. Yeah. Yeah. Or that God will change them through that experience. Yeah, we were talking some yesterday about experiences at like soup kitchens where you know, the typical style is the church group comes in and serves like across a counter and mm-hmm. there's, you know, that's the only interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm a big proponent of you get a plate and go and sit with the people and I can remember that happening at that same appointment where I was there with a group of women from the church and I got a plate and went and sat down and they said, oh, is that something we have to do? And I said, yeah, I said, you don't have to. I And I said, I like to do it. And, uh, and I think it kind of guilted them into doing it too, but yeah. it was a really good experience. Yeah. yeah. Um, actually, last night we had our meal up at Crusoe uh, United Methodist Church. We've been doing a, a Wednesday evening meal for the community since March. And uh, a woman came in and she had been, there was the first time being there after, you know, reaching out to various people to figure out what was going on and who she needed to talk to. And she wanted to, to just kind of understand what we were doing and who was invited and who wasn't. And so, you know, I did something that I rarely do, which is just sort of like share my, my vision and she almost was in tears like she was grateful for hearing what I had to say which was basically like you know she was worried that some people in the community feel like well this meal is just for poor people Mm. or just for flood survivors well that's a big detractor it's a commonly misheld or a commonly held misconception that anytime a church has a meal or or community kitchen or whatever that it's only for people who cannot possibly get another meal. Right. Mm-hmm. And so then you get these stereotypes like, well, I saw them driving a Mercedes or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and and we have this idea that if I go and eat with that person, that I'm taking a meal out of someone else's mouth. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that in this? Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and sometimes that's true. But in this case, it's not true because we always have more than enough food. Yeah. You know. Um, and... And certainly, in fact, I have to credit my my neighbor, Pastor Mark Tice, used this phrase on Saturday, and it's been sticking with me. He called this a, a pitchfork religion, mm-hmm. where when God's grace is coming to you, you grab the pitchfork uh, and you throw it over your shoulder because you think, well, somebody else behind me needs this mm-hmm. more, and you de- and you never end up accepting that grace for yourself. And uh, you know, that's a powerful image of like, and I do this too. You know, I think, well, somebody else needs this more than I do. Mm-hmm. Right. But, but the, the, the truth of God's kingdom is that there is abundance. There's more than enough for everyone mm-hmm. and we can accept it. And where we came around to, you know, I said, if you really want to help, you know, you can offer to cook in the, in the kitchen. But like my goal here is that you can't tell the difference when you come in here. I said, there's three people in that kitchen who are flood survivors mm. and I'm not going to tell you who they are. She happened to know one of them, uh, but uh, but that's my vision for that place is that you can come in and sit down and it might be uh, volunteers, it might be disaster relief workers who are being paid to be there, it might be uh, neighbors, it might be flood survivors, and it might be just people who are lonely and want to sit down and, and talk and eat with someone. And she was a little bit hesitant about signing up to serve, even though her heart is there, she wasn't sure about her calendar. But, but I said, you know what? You can also just come here and eat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? You can just come and sit and listen. Like, that's a gift that we can give to people. You don't have to work off your meal. Yeah. yeah. And when I said that, she was just, this relief just came over her. I said, you don't have to plan for it. You don't have wow. to tell me in advance. If you come here and sit and listen, you are doing the work of building community. Mm-hmm. 
And that's what we need more than anything. So the idea that you can just love people without expectation Mm. Mm. is a fairly radical thing in our world, and it was in Jesus' world. And it seems to me that, although Jesus did have expectations of his quote-unquote disciples, but it seems to me that this is the kind of thing that often got him in trouble. Mm. Uh, Not only with quote-unquote, quote unquote his enemies I I don't see them as his enemies Mm -hmm. but the Pharisees uh, but even up to the point that he ends up on the cross and so I wonder if number one it's still seen as radical today or if we just put the stamp of Jesus on what we already accept is what what is is what seen as radical that kind of love without expectation Mm -hmm. um like in the second part of this passage where he says, invite the poor, yeah. Yeah. Uh, crippled people who can't repay you. Yeah. Yeah. Humility and hospitality, yeah. Hmm. Um, and also, I wonder if there's some sort of fear that we may suffer should we engage in su- such activities or such koine. Hmm. Um, Community. Yeah. Um, Translation. Are we worried that we might suffer like Jesus ultimately, in our earthly standards, suffered? Well, I mean, in any standard, he got crucified. That's not fun. You think that this kind of behavior or guidance was what got him crucified? I'm not saying that this is. I think that challenging the system that was mm-hmm. is what ends up putting him, on, putting him on the cross. But this type of behavior was a part of that challenge. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure he's disrupting what the Pharisees expected as their Sabbath afternoon meal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What do you make of that? I was thinking more along the lines of why people are uncomfortable with this kind of thing today. And I, oh, my gut is that most people are just uncomfortable interacting with human suffering. Yeah, yeah. And that we don't want to be amongst the poor the lame, the crippled, the blind, because I think there's still that sense that we think they deserve it somehow. Mm. Um, I mean, at least that's what I hear from people in in church, that you know, there's a sense of, well, they did something to be that way. And Yeah, there's that, and then there's also, I think, the shame and guilt that comes with feeling like maybe... I'm supposed to help this person, mm-hmm. but I don't know how. And there's all this pressure of feeling like, am I supposed to help this person alone? Like, yeah. I don't want to be strapped in a situation where I, I get asked to do something that I could do, but it would cost me a lot, you know? Then, right. Like, there's take also, someone to the dentist to help fix their teeth or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's also the idea that if you lay down with dogs, you get fleas. There's, if, yes. I, if I am with them, will I end up in this position that they are? Right, which mm-hmm. I think is silly, but well, and that's exactly so, that's something that Jesus is 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 trying to combat in in many of the passages here, where he is willing to be with people who are mm-hmm. ritually unclean, uh, to touch them, to eat with them, and uh, and even to to heal them, and then tell them go show yourself to the priest. You mm-hmm. know? Um, and that was, you know, at the time there was a, there was an association between being poor, crippled, lame, and blind, and being out of favor with God, mm-hmm. and that there was maybe possibility of contagion. Like you've done something wrong, I don't want any of that in my life, so I'm going to yeah. stay away from you. And we still do that today. Yeah, yes. we do. I w- I wish, selfishly, that the story of the Syrophoenician women woman was right here Mm. Mm. to juxtapose this because the woman who asks for food from the master's table for her daughter to be healed and and then and then in a way pleads her case and wins yeah and jesus is like oh you're right i can see that you know um i wish that that was right here yeah right up just what would it do i think it would show that it's it's such a big problem that even Jesus slips into it every now and then mm. if he's not careful. Yeah. Uh, because that 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 drive mm. to fit into a certain system and 
and care first for the people that look like me or belong mm. Mm. is so pervasive that even someone who just seems to get it right all the time, Jesus Christ, has that temptation mm-hmm. to slip into that behavior. Yeah. So kind of it doesn't give us an out. Yeah. But it allows us to not beat ourselves up too bad when we fail. Yeah. Yeah. So I I see this association and this of of lifestyle and lack of favor with God most strongly in today in, in today's world in in Haywood County. Uh, with substance use mm. and and I did a funeral on Tuesday evening for a young man who who over who died of an overdose and who um, maybe was not ma- baptized I'm not sure mm. and it was really hard for me because I feel like the teaching that I have received from the church um, you know maybe is similar to the teachings that these Pharisees had received from their elders about you know the difference between somebody who is circumcised and uncircumcised yeah. being clean and unclean and what we have in our society in Christianity today is a difference in circumstances between someone who's baptized and not baptized but I think Jesus came to blow up these distinctions mm-hmm. and and spent his time intentionally with people who were considered unclean uh, to try to demonstrate that God's abundance and God's mercy and God's grace is present there but it was really you know I picked a passage of scripture to preach where there's a young legal expert who's wrestling with that question and doesn't know what to do with it which is the parable of the good Samaritan Mm. and I still felt trapped by like not knowing what to say yeah because there is sort of this sort of commonly understood belief that well you have to get baptized to go to heaven Mm. Mm -hmm. um which in Jesus day would be you have to be circumcised to be a, a believer or you have to be clean in order to present yourself before it, it, at the temple um, and 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 yet then I want to believe and my heart wants to believe that actually no that we are saved by the faith of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. that the faithfulness of God is actually what saves us it's all grace yeah yeah. So talk about the faith, faithfulness of God versus the purity of our faith in God. Yeah, I think we've, you know, the we've misinterpreted scripture for a long time and, and made and along with our culture made the scripture highly individualistic. Yes. As 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 much as you know, and this is a product of we. I think we need to reflect. This is a product of our culture that we interpret the scripture this way individualistically mm-hmm. that um, that it's all on the individual to figure out that you know how to believe correctly what exactly to believe mm. um, how your belief should look in practice uh, and that it's a, you know if you don't believe then that's on you whereas um, I think you know in a more collectivist society I would say Eastern Orthodox, for example, and probably even in Jesus' time, uh, there was much more of an understanding that the that faith is something that we share. Mm-hmm. Right? That's why we talk about the body of Christ. You know, we are part of a body. That means that, like, I don't have to understand what all this means all the time because, like, you know, Jesus was faithful, mm-hmm. and and that's a, that's a trick of the translation in some of these verses is that the word for in and of are like the same word so like the faith in jesus and faith of jesus the faith of jesus being salvific the thing that saves us um it just depends on how you translate it and i want to believe that it's actually the faithfulness of jesus to us as we sing in great is thy faithfulness Mm. lord unto me Mm. right that it's god who's ultimately faithful and that's good, the good news, that it's not up to me or you or anyone, but it's, it's Jesus. Yeah. So, in verse 11, we've talked a lot about uh, how those who exalt themselves will be humbled. What does it look like for those who humble themselves to be exalted? We've, we've had people, I guess, demoted 
mm-hmm. from the place of honor to the lowly where they would rather not be, I suppose, in mm-hmm. this parable. But is this a parable or is this just an analogy? It is a parable, but it doesn't sound, it doesn't read like most other no, parables. No, it doesn't. Because mm-hmm. it's very much pointed at his audience. Yeah. All right. So anyway, back back to the lesson. Okay, what does hand. it look like for... What, what does it look like for the opposite, for the, the, the one who humbles him or herself to be exalted? And I guess what I'm getting to is, is the exalted in this example going to look like or did it look like or does it look like whatever tense does it look like what our image of exaltation looks like hmm. I don't think so Mm-mm. personally and this may be uh, this may be a really bonkers out of there uh, interpretation but we like bonkers remember when uh, the disciples I think James and John are asking Jesus if they can sit mm. at his left and his right mm-hmm. and he says are you ready to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and they said yes we'll go to the death with you and he says you will drink the cup but it's not up to you to decide who will sit at my right and my left like that is up to the, the father and guess what Jesus gets crucified mm-hmm. and to his right and his left are thieves mm-hmm. people who um, who are the lowest of the low and who are guilty of their crimes. But God uh, exalts them uh, on the throne, uh, the, the hill that will become the throne, which is Golgotha. So, so to be exalted is to be raised up on a cross? At <laughs> well, least in their case. Well, I mean, I, I'm of the interpretation that the cross is the throne of Christ. I mean, mm-hmm. this, is, this is an exaltation moment uh, because it's demonstrating uh, God's ability to love us even when we are at our most cruel and vicious mm. and uh, he, he does not um, he does not back down from loving us hmm. even when we crucify him see I can see that as an example of the first half of 11 all who exalt themselves in life do what they got to do to get ahead hmm. will be humbled because a crucifix fiction is a very humiliating death in in a human in the human realm yes of which is what crucifixions were made to do right. send a message to humans yeah but god's using a different standard right? yeah. Yeah. so so in that one sentence mm-hmm. you have the first half and i'm trying to understand what you're saying you have the first half all who exalt themselves be humbled defines the human way of understanding crucifixion mm-hmm. and then the second half, those who humble themselves will be exalted, shows God's view of the same action. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I've never heard that before, but I like it. It's a good way of looking at it. What you think, Aaron? In the context, maybe you're, I don't know if you're still thinking about the context of the soup kitchen, but do you have any thoughts on this? Being exalted and made low. Um, gosh. Well, I think a if we interact with those who are poor and in need I mean I guess I was thinking about how dangerous that can be too like how verses like this are used to keep people dependent and subservient by saying hey if you stay low now you're yep. you'll get your reward in heaven stay in your lane yes yeah. yes um, and I was just uh, I've been pondering how do you counteract that um, and I mean I know in reality there are people who won't be exalted until they reach the kingdom of God um, I'm not sure what the answer is so you're, it's not their fault either I right mean, yeah I think we, we, we rush too fast to tie this to verse 14 which you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous yes uh, there's no reason we can't exalt now mm-hmm and I, I'll give an example from a different soup kitchen that I don't think Aaron's ever been to, and that's at First Baptist in Shelby. And I had a professor in div school named Sophia Stiebel, and she spent many of her lunches. She would go from Boiling Springs, which is like 15 minutes away, and go to the soup kitchen. Mm. Like multiple times every week, still does as far as I know. And to eat or to serve? Yes. Okay. And 
I don't remember her once going to the other side of the counter where the kitchen is. Mm. She was always with the clientele, Mm. with those who were coming to eat. She knew them. She had relationships with them. She knew to ask about, I mean, half of, you got to know Shelby. Very, Mm. if you've ever spoken to my wife, she's got a, a bit of it, but very thick Southern accents. They don't only speak them, they hear them. And she's from Brazil. So there was a little bit mm. of a communication gap, but she worked with them and she understood them and she knew to ask about their needs and they expected it. And perhaps, so some would say that she was humbling herself in doing that. And perhaps the way she is exalted is that, and she's retired now from the div school but perhaps the way she is exalted is I don't remember a single lesson that she taught in the four classes I had with her but I will always remember and look fondly upon her mm-hmm. her efforts to live it out I was going to say humble herself but I don't even see it that way but her willingness to go where others didn't mm-hmm. yeah and to interact with those who are in need mm-hmm. and who most, I don't want to say most, but sadly that's true, most would see as beneath her. Mm. I will remember that about her until I'm dead or senility takes me one of the two. Right, yeah. Uh, the, I think the, the, the people that we honor, that are honored just in this life um, it, are the ones that we tell stories about, even mm. if they were too humble to speak you know tell their mm-hmm. own stories you know and that's that's one way that we honor people who have have done what we think of as uh, faithful christian ministry honorable things yeah. yeah i think we all have one of those yeah a sophia stiebel i hope we do mm-hmm. there's a gentleman at the community kitchen that i met very early on uh when i started as a pastor here uh before anyone really knew me i just would sneak down there and just eat just to see how hmm. the other churches were treating people. Um, once they figured out I was a pastor, I I lost that. Um, Couldn't be incognito an, anymore. Anonymity, yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, in that in that early, those early days of sitting down and talking with people, I, I met a guy who um, just has a real pastor's heart. Hmm. But he's never in the kitchen. He's always just. He's always there for the meal, and he enjoys the meal. He probably could cook for himself, but he enjoys the company, and he cares for people, and sometimes he plays piano and wow. prays, and um, just a beautiful soul that um, is is a role model for me in terms of serving from the serving from the other side of the of the counter. Right? Yeah, that's beautiful. Or serving from the from the table side of the the eating <laughs> side of the counter. Yeah, serving by being served. Yeah, yeah. Serving and being served. I don't know. Yeah, what this would is, it be? To me, it's, and it connects, we're not talking about the Hebrews passage, but it connects to the Hebrews mm-hmm. 13, 1 and 2 passage, and also where we talk about, um, where the scripture talks about uh, uh, Martha and Mary, you know, how Mary chooses the, the better half because she sits and listens. Well, mm-hmm. we, we can sit and listen to the voice of God and the image of God in our neighbors, mm-hmm. and so many times we choose not to. We choose to be busying ourselves back in the kitchen. Um, you look at the story of Abraham when the angels visited him as humans, you know, Adama, mm-hmm. they, or Ad, Adams, three Adams came to visit him, and, and, and he, he responded correctly by bowing low and by offering them um, food and water, and, and uh, they, were, they were God's presence in his life, even though they're just human beings. Like, um, the, he, he acknowledged that they were bringing a message from God. And that's how I think we ought to look at spaces like, like the tables that we share with people, that we have an opportunity to welcome the image of God and humble ourselves to hear their stories. Hmm. Can you have true hospitality without humility? Yeah. <laughs> well, not maybe not. <laughs> not tr- I don't true. know what true That's the key word. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I know that you can deck out your house and, you know, people are coming over. I want it to look like we're, I don't know what example, you know, the Biltmore 
yeah, you know, the Vanderbilts or something. Mm-hmm. But, um, but it, I, I think that until you humble yourself and truly become a servant, you're not really being hospitable, not in the truest sense of the word. Because mm-hmm. I think that hospitality is goes beyond just having somebody over mm-hmm. or meeting social norms, which I think is what people pictured when Jesus would bring up the idea of a banquet and that's probably why he brought it up so much because he wanted to bring up these social norms without having to talk too much just automatically in people's minds and then challenge them but I think that until we go beyond just having people over or even feeding them and take into account what their true needs are Mm -hmm. and are willing to sacrifice to meet whatever the needs are then we haven't reached this imaginary threshold of what defines hospitality quite yet. Hmm. And that's a challenge for me. That's a challenge, I think, for most of us. Mm-hmm. Because we, we do have this, and it, it, may, it may be, I don't, I don't even think we can blame society. I think it's, it's really evolutionary. Like, we have this impulse to make sure that we get enough and have enough for security purposes and it's hard to fight and if we're sacrificing that to meet another's need then there's a, there's usually in the back of our minds some voice calling out saying are we then going to have enough and will I have someone like I am doing to them to help me hmm. once I have given so much and I think that's the wrong way to look at it but it is it is a challenge to overcome that, or maybe I'm just so so flawed in comparison no, to my Methodist it's, colleagues. No, that. it's definitely there. Um, and in addition to like money and financial resources, I'm an introvert, and so when I have people oh, over for dinner, it's exhausting. It is like when I have people over to the house, it's exhausting. And I think, do I have enough energy? Thanks <laughs> for coming awful. and get the hell yes, out. Yes, yeah. yes, and I have to intentionally like stop and like make myself available for people to tell me things that they need to tell me, or mm-hmm. you know, just to be with people. Um, and it's, for me, that scarcity of energy. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of pastors are introverts. I don't know if I, I haven't seen like a study on what the balance is, but in my world, it's rare. Really? Mm. Yeah. Okay. In y'all's yeah, world, I think in the Methodist world, there are a lot yeah. of introverts. More yeah, because more... y'all have a system that guarantee doesn't necessarily guarantee, but it you get placed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have we to interview have and intro- uh, extroverts. So. Extroverts interview very well. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, it's it's hard to get a job as an introvert. You got to mm. learn to fake it. Yes. Or, or stand in your own strength in some ways, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like I interview pretty well, but it's because I can um, talk about, you know, deeply intimate uh, stories and uh, experiences mm-hmm. um, relatively quickly. I can get a conversation into some deep conversation pretty quickly, and, yeah. and people see that, like, that's what we need in a pastor. So, Not that I have to interview because we have a system of sending rather than calling. I, I do think it's interesting that we're kind of going off course, but maybe not really. That as much as Jesus talks about humility, we're in an industry where arrogance mm. really sells. Mm. Mm-hmm. And you look at the current Baptist issue. The DOJ was just called in to investigate the Southern Baptist Church. Thank God. Because they have a history of all these. Oh, I don't know. Separation of church and state, Card. What do you feel about that? Well, I don't. <laughs> I don't think that we should separate pedophilia from state. Uh, um, yeah, penitentiaries. Um, but so we we have this, this system where um, very very arrogant people took over and thought that they were above not only the laws but also more they they were the voice voice of god and therefore were the deciding factor of what is moral and not yeah talk about putting yourself at the high place at the table yeah yeah Yeah. and Mm -hmm. and now finally um something hopefully is going to be done about it Mm. but it took three decades Mm -hmm. for this to happen and um 
And yet, over and over again, we see in our line of work the total lack of humility mm. and people asserting themselves in the place of God just because they were quote-unquote called, which I don't think any of us are any less called than any of, they, any of them. And so we, we take what should be a refuge for humanity, a place of safety, and we've turned it. I don't want to say we because I, I didn't do any of this. I don't think y'all have either. Mm-hmm. But people in our positions have turned it into a, a refuge for predators mm-hmm. and hunting ground for predators mm-hmm. where they can hide. A den of snakes and vipers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't... How the... Maybe the church itself put itself in the position of... of respect and recognition and has been forced to be humbled mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. And, and so this is where i think you know in conversations about hospitality we also have to talk about um how how to be a guest yeah wow um, yeah because i think and I, I wonder i'm curious aaron because you've had experience like like you said in in trying to organize community ministry and stuff like that like uh, like and I know that this is very different between the South and the North. Mm-hmm. Like, there's so much emphasis on hospitality down here. You're but from yes. Connecticut, right? I am from yeah. Connecticut. But my ministry has all been in North Carolina. Okay. But, like, um, so, you know, how do you see, like, the relationship between, like, or the relative value of mm-hmm. being a host versus a guest play out? Oh, in... there's a huge difference. Mm-hmm. So um, I saw it come into play when I was at the appointment where I was the missions pastor, we were opening a campus. It was a mission campus. And the group that I formed to kind of spearhead that, I very intentionally, we read together the book When Helping Hurts. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, going into that with the attitude of, we don't know what the people coming to this place need. Mm-hmm. We're a guest in that community because it was it wasn't our main campus community. It was 15 miles away, um, and that's tough for a lot of people to make that mental switch. That we don't know what these people need. We mm-hmm. we think we do, but we really don't. Um, and so going in, recognizing we're the outsiders, we're the guests, and I mean I, I've experienced that in foreign mission work too. Mm-hmm. You get a lot of empiricism. Yes. And you kind of get a microcosm of that with the situation you described. Where was that? Um, it was in Weddington and Monroe. Okay. I was pretty sure I knew that you'd serve that area. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so, yeah. By the way, that's a good book. Mm-hmm. I was looking at my bookshelf. I have a copy of it somewhere. But. So, you know, this is, I think, an important conversation for me because we see this play out in the life of Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. When he is in his earthly ministry, like, how many times is he a host? Like, oh, gosh. The Last Supper. Yeah. And he didn't even set up the meal, you know? Mm-hmm. He asked his disciples to go and get the upper room ready, mm-hmm. and then he breaks the bread and offers the wine. It's the one time that he well, serves as host. You could see um, the feeding of the multitudes sure. as well. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So so there are like these distinct moments where Jesus is serving as host or practicing hospitality, but in a borrowed room, in an open field, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And yet this is the one who we proclaim is ultimately setting a banquet for mm-hmm. for all of the saints in glory, right? But in his earthly ministry, his most of the time, he was in the role of guest. Mm-hmm. And for those of us who seek to follow in his footsteps, I think before we uh, break our arms, patting ourselves on the back for how good we are at hospitality, we should think about how have we practiced being a guest? Mm. How have we practiced uh, showing up into situations with humility, saying, we don't know what's needed here. Yeah. And we, we need to spend a good amount of time listening before we even can offer anything because there's a possibility that when we offer what we think other people need we're just putting ourselves higher than them yeah. because we will we will show how great we are and they will want to be like us mm-hmm. yeah and we're assuming that we must have what they need because yep. our lives are so great whereas we might find out 
that we're missing things mm -hmm. in, in our lives that that the people that we are quote unquote serving have much more of and in, in abundance a deeper relationship with God more uh, connectedness with community yeah. interdependence with one another a knowledge of uh, of the community and where uh, where there are good people who are who are available to right. help in a time of need like all of this kind of gritty like day-to-day -day knowledge of what it mean what it means to be a part of community they might be more rich in that than we are and uh, if, if we if we assume going into a place like a soup kitchen or 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 whatever whatever our ministry is that we're the hosts and we're the ones practicing hospitality we miss all that yeah and jesus didn't he he always was going in as a guest mm -hmm. uh, more often than not and uh and that was the that was the the that was the way he i guess that was the way that he modeled for us hmm. that's a real shift hmm. how would that shift the way we do ministry well, you gotta. You don't have to, but my suggestion is you gotta think of it in sort of analytical terms. What What are you doing by being a guest? Mm -hmm. You're seeking a way to belong to the community. Whereas, if you always play host, which this is what churches are really bad about, you are always calling people to come into your house. Mm -hmm. You're always coming, inviting people to come and be a guest at your table but you never are with them mm. you may even be serving them and may maybe even doing it for the right reasons but there's there's always this separation mm -hmm. uh the outsiders are here with me but we're not one mm. um and so what he would do by being a guest is become a part of the larger community because there's one host there's many guests mm. and i think we we miss something and I include myself in that, certainly. When we so often lean into always playing host. Because after all, we have what they should want. And we'll invite them and show them the example of what they should be. When maybe we need to get to know who they are. Not only before we try to change anything, but to assess if anything even needs to be changed. Yeah. And also, who are we to make that assessment? Mm -hmm. So. That same uh, situation with the mission campus, when I was pitching the idea to the church leadership, um, they were very business-minded individuals, and they asked, well, how will you know when this campus has been a success? And my response was, when we are invited into their homes. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about how to say that, but uh, yeah. can you say more it. about that? Um, well, in my mind, that meant the relationship was there. Right. And that answer did not go over well with that group, and <laughs> the senior pastor had to step in. And kind of, um, but, but it's so powerful, right? Because it, it points right to the heart of, of the matter for me, because, because of the, even if we don't talk about it, this system of like, you know, who, who is worthy of being a host. Yeah. That we construct so that people who uh, have modest means and small homes uh, feel ashamed to welcome people in. Yeah. Like, how do you get to that step? Only by humbling yourself. Mm -hmm. Only by listening and showing that you are a friend first, and that you can, that that you don't care about all that pomp and circumstance. Yeah. Yesterday, um, I was invited into someone's home uh, to visit someone's mother. Uh, whose whose sister is is uh, uh, having some health issues and she's worried about it and I show I was tired I had only gotten three hours of sleep mm -hmm. I showed up with a tie-dye t-shirt and and shorts that I wore the day before and the first thing she said to me was oh I'm so glad you showed up with that shirt on because now I don't feel so bad about what I'm wearing Wow and I think about, you know, how many times as pastors we try to, like, you know, clean up and wear something that looks nice uh, because we think that that's what people expect. 
but sometimes for the people that we're really trying to reach that just makes them feel like even less valuable because they they can't or they don't um, uh, dress up to the the same level that we do so they feel like there's some they have something to be ashamed of and and I didn't do that intentionally that just happened because I was exhausted and I didn't know what to wear and I just picked the first shirt in my drawer. Accidental lessons are the best though, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. but Jesus, I think, invites us to to like think intentionally about mm-hmm. that and to and to humble ourselves, even if it comes to the, the, the clothing we wear. Yeah. So right after the flood, I mean, like in the next couple of days, several of us went and tried to do what we could we went and assessed. We went and checked on a lot of your members. And I saw a fellow Baptist pastor out there walking through these flood victims' yards and stuff in a three-piece suit. Mm-hmm. Three-piece suit in a tie. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, come on, man. I'm not going to say his name, but oh, come on. Everybody knows what I'm talking I about. I saw right it, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, don't step too far off the road. You might get your shoes muddy. It just made me sick. Mm-hmm. Uh, Go Had his own driver too, wasn't oh, it? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow. All right. Much love to our pastors, no matter what you wear. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we love the work that you're doing, but uh, yeah, I think have yeah, some Jesus, situational awareness, though, people. <laughs> yeah, Jesus is inviting us to uh, a, a kind of humility that plays out more more than just at the at the dinner table. I think. Mm. All right, so we are a little long, and so I am going to wrap us up. But I think it's been a good conversation. Mm-hmm. It's been didn't go where I thought it was going to go. So, no. Aaron, thanks for that's being fun. with us. Thank you. Come back. Um, that sounded threatening. I don't mean it that way. I invite you. <laughs> you are to most come welcome back. to come back. Um, all right. So for Pastor Potluck, I'm Court Green, and I'm Peter Constantin, and we've been joined by Aaron Yao, and we appreciate her. Have a great week. Peace.